Okay, I have a new topic okay. that I want to... Will it be an intro or we'll just go right into it? <laughs> we can just go right into it and let... Yeah, we can just go right into it. I can do the intro. So, what, oh, please, what would you... Do You don't even know what the topic is. But In three, two, one, intro. From the beautiful Cascade Lakes in Boynton Beach, Florida, I give you Jay. Gosh. I've watched a lot of talk shows. I know this stuff. That was amazing. Hi. I mentioned in the first episode that I wanted this podcast to be original, which it turns out is code for long sometimes. So there's that. It, what I realized is it's hard to encapsulate 40 years of mental health issues into 25 minutes, and I really didn't want to do this subject matter a disservice. I also think it has the potential to have a real value for you. Uh, if you're dealing with bipolar, depression, anxiety, or maybe you're not dealing with it, but you know someone who is, or maybe you are dealing with it, but you don't know it yet. I really feel like there might be some light bulb moments in here for you. And so it was important for me to be thorough. Even that said, there's so much more for me to talk about. So stay tuned for the the real details to come. Uh, we're going to do it in chunks so that you'll have time to take breaks and revisit and take notes and drink wine and whatever you want to do. So this first bit is kind of my life up through college, maybe a little into graduation, and mostly about me having all of these emotions that I didn't know what to call. It was like I knew something was going on on a cellular level, but I didn't know what to name it, and my parents didn't know what to name it. But I think some of it will probably feel familiar to you, too. And last thing, so I, it's funny because I record, I, I recorded this at home. I, I record a lot of them at home. I'm in the studio now, so it sounds perfect, but I, I was at home and I was kind of feeling a little revved up, not, not necessarily manic, but, but definitely not depressed. And I hadn't, I had been feeling kind of down because of the weather. It was really overcast. And I was like, I got, I got to just go right now. So, so there was less planning, but I knew what I wanted to say and I knew I would have the, the energy to do it. And what was interesting is that I felt like that came through. Like I could feel, I felt different inside. And, and when my producers listened to it, they were like, no, it just sounded happy. And, you know, it just made us, made me think it made all of us think like, what goes on in your mind versus what people are seeing is so different and why it's so important to have that self-awareness so you can communicate it to people. So anyways, here we go. Episode two. This was supposed to be episode four, but I changed my mind <laughs> because I'm always just trying to make it all better. And we were going to do my emotional rating system for episode two, which is going to be great. But I thought it might be... 
don't know if interesting is the word, but it, okay. Let me start over. You don't have to, editors, you don't have to cut that part out. It's okay. I just decided that maybe there was a better way for me to deliver my intentions, which are this. I really, before I dig into like really specific topics like emotional eating and travel anxiety and growing a business and how scary all that is, I I really wanted to lay some groundwork for who I am as a person, <laughs> which I feel like the early adopters of this podcast are probably people that have some idea of who I am. But we're really hoping hoping to welcome some strangers into, into this world too. Um, either way, I just felt like if the first, I've been asking for the first four to six episodes to be really about introducing me, the things I want to talk about, a little allude to my experience, um, because being an expert in my experience is an important part of what made me feel comfortable having a podcast and talking about it. I'm not a mental health expert. I'm not a business or brand building expert, at least in certain terms, but I've had a lot of experience with all of that. So I'm an expert in my experience and I can speak to that. And from what I understand, uh, people can relate and it helps them. So that's reason enough for me. So anyways, I thought I would talk about the road to my bipolar diagnosis, because I think it will be helpful for people to hear. It was a, it was a long and winding road. I like tried to write, I tried to write a long form explanation of it. Then I tried to write an outline and then I was like, fuck it. Your house is quiet. I I record a lot of this from my house. Dr. Jamie's in town. He's gone out with my brother. I I feel like I have 45 minutes of silence. So I was just like, just just flip that bitch on and start talking and see what happens. I don't know. I think the biggest question for me was like, where do I start? So... I asked myself that question. Myself gave me lots of different answers. Start at the beginning, knowing that the beginning was a time of total unawareness. So most of my recollections of of mental health issues in my childhood are um, retroactive. What I mean is I didn't have the words to contextualize my experience when I was 8, 12, 18. But as I grew to build self-awareness and educate myself and and create an emotional intelligence um, through years and years of therapy and research and reading and classes and just paying attention, I could look back and reflect and... It's so clear now, you know, even in talking to my parents, it's like, it's so clear now when we talk about it, but at the time it wasn't. So I don't want it to be deceiving. I don't want it to be like, Hey, at eight, I had my first hypomanic episode and, um, I was fully aware of what was happening. I was like, what is go? I was eight, man. I was just like, why was I crying? 
10 minutes ago, and now why can I not stop laughing and screaming and jumping on the bed? And also, my grandpa just died, so this is all so weird, and it's weird enough just being eight. When I think about my childhood, even up through high school, I mostly just had an overwhelming feeling of sort of like being a stranger in my mind and body. It wasn't, it was overwhelming, but it wasn't omnipresent, consistent, you know. When you imagine me, think of like a shiny-faced little blonde kid with bifocals and smart, quiet, funny with her friends. It wasn't like I locked myself in my room from the time I was six till the time I was 13 and only wore black clothes and cried all the time. Not at all. And honestly, I've never... Most people, even as I've like sort of gone back and talked to people that knew me when I was younger, do not associate me at all as someone with even mood instability outside of like, they remember me being super fun. And I'm like, well, that was probably like mania or a hypomanic episode. And sometimes it was just me being fun. I mean, that's the other thing. It's really complicated. You know, mood disorders are really complicated because you don't know... How much of it is you? How much of it is your personality? How much is it of your brain malfunctioning? How much of it is the situation you're in? Man, it's just hard to, it's hard to be a person, but it's so fun too. So anyways, I knew something was wrong, but it wasn't so pronounced that I was like, I should go see a doctor. And I would imagine that in me saying that there will be a lot of people that are like, oh shit, I felt like that too. (laughs) Like, I, I don't think there, by the way, I don't think that there's anything that is incredibly original about my story, except for that it's mine. Um, I think that there is something very relatable about my experience. That is, that is the sole motivation for me doing this is that I think it will provide light bulb moments for people that listen to it because I feel like this is a common thing. I know it's a common thing. Actually, uh, future Jen will come back in and tell past Jen, which is me right now, what the statistics are for mental health issues. But it's like one in four Americans, American adults. Yeah. Future Jen, please help. (laughs) Hi, Future Jen here, coming in to give you some stats, as promised. First thing, damn it, it's not one in four. It's one in five adults in America that experience a mental illness. Also, 43.8 million adults experience mental illness in a given year. And one half of all chronic mental illnesses begin at the age of 14 and three quarters of them by the age of 24. So I just wanted to give past Jen and everyone listening that information back to the podcast. ADD made me forget where I was. Shout out to ADD. Thank you, ADD, for sponsoring this episode of Jen Gotch's OK Sometimes. Now, back to the program. Anyways, 
So like I was saying, here I am. I'm back. Thank you. Depression, anxiety, ADD, hypomania. When I think about the the terms that were used to describe that during, you know, I was born in 1971. So this is like mid to late 70s through the late 80s, early 90s. Lack of focus, laziness. That's a bad one. Laziness versus depression. That's a huge one for me. We'll definitely spend an episode talking about that. Because if you've suffered from any sort of clinical depression or even situational depression, I'm sure someone has labeled you as lazy and you might've even labeled yourself as lazy and that's not what it is. Oh, getting, getting so mad about it. Oh, hormones. Hor- <laughs> what are hormones? Oh my God. Why do I think it's so funny? Hormones. I'm talking about hormones. <laughs> Or teenage angst. You know, my mom was like, I chalked a lot of it up to you just being a teenager. And and my mom is pretty self-aware. I mean, she she was reading self-help books up the Yazoo, doing past life regressions. I mean, this was this was not someone who was just gonna write something off to teenage angst because she didn't care. But those were the, you know, those were the labels that were put on put on those things. Fast forward a little bit. In reading my college journals, I spent most of my time just reading inspirational quotes and trying to feel better and become a better person. It, it was very dark up there in my brain. Not, not necessarily dark in a negative way, but it was just like searching, like literally in a cave with a very small, weak flashlight, like the, like the, the flashlight that goes on a keychain, not one of those big ones that you carry. Like literally the tiny ones that go on your keychain, just looking in this giant cave for an answer to any of this. But at least I was trying. Towards the end of college, I had a long-term boyfriend. We broke up. Right before we broke up, I went on the pill. And let me just say, I blame it all on the pill. Just kidding. But sort of. But not really. But I, I do think the pill, the pill, and I tried to... I mean, I've been reading like medical papers on this, trying to get the information, but you know, what's not fun to read medical papers. Here's what I do know. The pill has changed a lot since 1993 when I went on it. Um, so anyways, I went on the pill, which I feel like was me putting the key into the ignition of the car that was bipolar disorder. That's what I think. When I trace everything back, I I feel like that was a catalyst. When I take what I now have as a giant flashlight into the cave of my brain, I, I I can see those behaviors bubbling to the surface. I can also, I kept journals so I can see me saying things that were both evident of like clinical depression and hypomanic stuff. Let me also say that, no, no, that was going to be a spoiler alert. How dare you stick to the script? There is no script. Why isn't there a script? Who are you talking to? (laughs) What I'm trying to say is I introduced a catalyst and then I coupled it with a breakup 
an impending graduation from college, which would mean uh, me being expelled into propelled. Fuck. Is this going to be just, this is, this is where I'm exposed. This is where I'm exposed, where I spend half of my time. Fine. I'm just going to tell you, I literally spend half of my time Googling definitions of words and also looking for synonyms. Cause I just need to be sure that I'm using the right word. And I know I'm not. Anyways, I was about to be shot out of a cannon into from the college cannon into the vast expanse of the real world. And I knew on many levels that I didn't know how to handle that. I hadn't been financially independent. I was pre-law and had decided, um, a couple months earlier that I actually did not want to go to law school. So I was going to graduate with a degree in literature and philosophy, which was not going to be that helpful. And I knew it and I knew I didn't know what I wanted to do. All I wanted to do was party. I had like met a new younger guy and I just, I was all, I was all over the place. Plus, you know, the pill makes you gain weight, which, you know, that was always a sense, you know, my weight always kind of fluctuated. I was never, um, I mean, I'm a pretty small, I'm a small boned person. So like naturally I'm pretty small, but I could definitely go. I mean, I fluctuate from like a size two, I've gone from size two to like a size 12, 14. That's a constant thing for me. And there's obviously a lot of shame involved with that, which seems to be diminishing over time. But In the 80s, it was all shame. All you had was supermodels. So it didn't feel good. So so off I go into the real world, away from sort of like my new friends and new relationships that I had formed, being pumped with hormones. Uh, (laughs) And I I moved to Atlanta with some friends. Um, I went to school at Florida State. I'm from Florida. So the big move for those of us risk takers was to go to the big city of Atlanta. And then I just, the bottom really fell out for me. And I I was asking my friend Forrest, who was one of my best friends from college and also one of the girls that I moved in with. And she was like, I just remember you having a lot of fun, like going back to FSU, a lot of weekends and partying. She did remember me staying in my room for hours at a time. I remember it as days at a time, but... I was messed up in my head. I, I, I knew I wasn't going to survive. I knew that, that some of these feelings that had just been in the murkiness of my brain and body were coming out. And I just felt, I did not feel equipped. So I moved home a few months later also because I had like reconnected with an old boyfriend. Let me tell you something the through line through like my teenage years and my early twenties was literally go where the guy is. I'm in a much, I'm in a, such a drastically different place in my life now, but it's just interesting that I was like ping ponging all over the place because of like this guy or that guy. I just want to admit the truth. I moved home because I because I liked somebody. Um, but also I didn't have any money. Okay, take a break, stretch your legs, 
maybe turn on a cool song and dance around the room a little bit, and then we'll just get back to it. A little bit heavier stuff here to come as I talk a little bit about a mental breakdown I suffered, which is a little, which is a little bit scary to talk about, but it ultimately was the thing that got me to an actual doctor and a depression diagnosis, which was the first of many diagnoses in my life. For me, receiving the diagnosis was actually a relief and not a burden, which is an interesting way to think about a mental illness diagnosis. But I know a lot of people feel like it's a negative label, and I just wanted to introduce into your mind, what if you didn't look at it that way? Uh, it's helped me a lot. Okay. Get your wine and listen up. So I moved back home, which definitely came with a little bit of shame. And I didn't want to be one of those people that moved back home after college. I wanted to be more. But I moved back home. I got a couple jobs. I made some friends. But there was still this, you know, this feeling of just something bubbling. Whereas for, for many of the years before that, it was just a tingle and it was more about the confusion and sadness and absence of emotion at times. It was less about like anxiety, you know, there was something under the surface and it just, it was it was going to find its way out. I could either let it out or it was going to find its way out. I also just had a very contentious relationship with my mom. I mean, we love each other a lot. We loved each other a lot back then, but we just, we were just like oil and water. And so we were always both trying to behave well and respect each other, but we found ourselves fighting more than, more than not. But the good times were great. Don't get me wrong. Love that lady. But it, so it was hard. It, it was stressful and I still felt lost and confused. So the feeling kept getting worse. Here are the things I remember. I think I had a couple days of like some sort of dis disassociation. I basically thought my skin turned green. Like I was convinced that my skin had gone from like normal flesh color to like a really weird green, like a sickening green, not like bright green, not like Kermit the Frog, but just like if you put a green hue, that's what my skin looked like. My arms, my face. And I remember like pulling my mom into the bathroom because she was like, your skin looks, it looks normal. And I was just like so mad because it, it my eyes were telling me something different. So there was already something, I mean, that's a huge indication that something bad is happening in your brain. And then I, I remember being like, you, you need to just calm down. It's weird because self-care was obviously not a thing. I mean, self-care has always been a thing, but it wouldn't have been something that you labeled. But I was like, maybe just try and have some downtime let's give ourselves a manicure. And I, so I like took off my nail polish and then I was like setting up my room to give myself a manicure. Obviously I was going to light a candle, set the mood. And I went in to light the candle. And I think the, the chemical from the nail polish remover was still, there was still like a residue on my nails because my nails caught on fire. Like it was fast. It's not like I burned my hands or anything. It just like, they like, they got 
they were on fire for a second and I just like lost it. And I just, I just remember being downstairs. Now here's the other thing, you know, memories are fucking crazy the way they work. So I could have amalgamated three days into 20 minutes. These are the points that I remember in what happened outside of the overwhelming feeling of like, whatever is inside is going to come out. Like if I don't give it a way out, it, my body and head especially is going to explode into a million pieces just from the pressure. And so I just remember being like downstairs in my, in my parents' house, in our house and like taking this wine bottle and like smashing it on my head, which I don't think it broke, but I definitely like hurt my head, but I was like trying to crack my head open. So yeah, like my parents obviously were like freaked out, which is crazy because they can't really remember this. So I don't know where they put that memory. And then I got in my car, cranked up some REM and which is not even that aggro of music, except for like their album monster was definitely was like more electronic and had an edgier feel. And that's what I was listening to. But I was like, driving like a maniac. I screeched out of the driveway and I was just like screaming. And like, I have this like voice of reason that pops up that has gotten me out of many jams. That was like a little thing that was like, stop driving, just stop driving. Anyways, I, I went back home. So, so I feel like that was like a nervous breakdown or a mental breakdown, but you know, the way that those had been portrayed, like, you know, one flew over the cuckoo's nest or something. I didn't want to label it that way, but I've read more about it now. And like, that's enough. It's like a, you know, it's a, it's a usually a short period in time where all of those things are exacerbated and it's, you know, can be caused by stress, brain chemistry, all, all sorts of stuff, every, everything that I was experiencing. And it took a lot out of me. And so my mom, within the next day or two, I think it was the next day, took me to a, a, just a general doctor and he gave me Prozac. That was like the thing you did. Prozac Nation had just came out that book. And I was like, thank God, because it was like now, like some, someone in the medical profession was identifying like, Everything you've been feeling up until this time, I was probably 23, is real. You have depression. At least that's what it looks like to me. Take this pill. And I felt better. I felt better quickly. And I was... I was so proud to have this. I mean, I was telling pe- I was telling so many people and most people were like, that's weird. That's not real pills for that sort of thing are weird and it doesn't make sense. And it didn't, it never, you know, it's interesting now that I'm like so pro destigmatizing uh, mental illness and mental health issues and all of that. It's, I've always been that way as someone who has suffered with it. And I think the people that have a lot, I don't want to say everybody, a lot of the people that have truly suffered with this, especially without a diagnosis, when you finally get it, you're like, fuck, thank you. I was not imagining this because there's a part of you, even for me now, there are some times where I'm like, am I imagining this or am I creating this? Is this even real? And it's real. 
Okay, so now you know I've been diagnosed with depression, and you're about to hear how my therapist and I debunked that diagnosis and replaced it with the correct one, bipolar disorder. So, welcome to me. Enjoy. So, I've got my depression diagnosis. I've got my Prozac. I am ready to take on the world. I decide to move to California. I don't know anyone in California, but I do it. I lived in San Diego for a year. I met some great friends. We moved to LA and I found, you'll never guess, a boyfriend. I mean, there's been, there were several in between the one that I moved from Atlanta for and, and this one, but this guy was hot and he was older than me and he was smart and he was artistic and he was in a band with Jennifer Aniston's boyfriend. So I definitely went out on a couple double dates with Jennifer Aniston. No big deal. I mean, what did she even amount to? Nothing. Just kidding. LOL. Uh, Hey Jen. Anyways, he was in therapy and I had never been to therapy before. My mom, wait, my mom had actually taken us to family therapy on several occasions, which we all hated. Like we were always so mad. The only reason, the only way that they could get us to go is because we would go to Fuddruckers, the, the burger place afterwards. And that was, that was like the carrot on that was dangling for us. Um, so I was always anti-therapy also like, you know, when you're growing up, I think you either have the kind of relationship with your, with your mom, that's like you, whatever she says feels like good advice and you do it or whatever she says, you're like, how about if I just do the opposite of that? Okay. Thanks. Bye. So when a hot guy that you're in love with is like, maybe you should go to therapy, (laughs) which I think in retrospect, he was probably like, you're a fucking clingy, needy, codependent mess. And I'm not going to be able to deal with you for that long, but let me at least get you into therapy. Um, you go. So I did, I was 24. I went to therapy. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. We're definitely going to spend some time talking about that. Finding a therapist, how you know that it's the right therapist for you. What is therapy like? But we'll do that. I mean, that's coming up. I haven't, I haven't recorded anything about it yet, but I have a lot to say about that topic. Anyways, she, she was great. She really, really straightened me out and she helped me build emotional intelligence. She helped me become incredibly self-aware in addition to working through just like actual issues, behavioral stuff, just like cognition, all, all sorts of stuff. So she really helped me understand how to articulate how I was feeling at any time, which is really the key to, in my mind, the key to getting a, an accurate diagnosis, which is not something that I knew how to do really before therapy. She had an inkling that pretty early on that I might actually have bipolar and not just depression. And but we didn't really do much about it. Guess who? Future Jen popping in real quick to give you a tidbit of information that I still find a little bit confusing, so I figured you might too. A psychiatrist actually prescribes medication for you. 
a psychologist is the therapist that you talk to. So hopefully that will help in this episode and future episodes. Bye. I went to probably eight different psychiatrists over the course of seven years. And that was rough. All but one of them, they were treating me for depression and very, very pretty early on in the process, attention deficit disorder. Those were the two like diagnoses I had had. Um, the anxiety was there, but not super pronounced and actually didn't really get that bad until I went on Adderall for ADD and I started having like anxiety all the time, but I also lost a ton of weight and got a lot of fucking shit done. So I was like, you're not taking this drug from me, which it's just like, I, I don't know. That's a hardcore drug, but I, I was on so many different combinations of medicine. And the thing, the thing is, is like, listen, and I'm going to nutshell that I'm in a nutshell. You know, I love a nutshell and I hate a nutshell and squirrels love nuts and all that other good stuff. Um, but I'm going to make this part brief. Cause I definitely want to spend time talking about getting treated with medication, but this is more about just, just getting to a diagnosis. But you know, there are a lot of side effects that come with these medications. So I basically spent several years bouncing around from different doctors whom I was still learning how to communicate with. And they were try this, try that, try this with that. You know, at one point I was on five different medications to help me wake up, help me go to sleep, help me stay focused, help me not be depressed. All the while, I actually did have bipolar disorder, bipolar two to be specific, which is pronounced depression with bouts of um, really hypomania. Mania is a little bit more extreme. Hypomania is like shorter lasting, um, but but harder to see for me. I can see it very clearly now. But when you take when you're just treated for depression and you actually have bipolar, it can exacerbate it. And that's exactly what it was doing to me for years. All the while, I'm trying to figure out um, how to be an independent woman, <clears throat> choose a career, <laughs> become financially independent. So there was like definite external stressors. Um, also, just like living in LA is hard. Uh, and that boyfriend ended up breaking up with me shortly after he put me in therapy. Thank God I was in therapy because she helped me deal with that. But anyways, I eventually, after years of working together with, with my therapist, we were like, it's bipolar. It's bipolar. I read a book about bipolar and I was like, this all resonates so much. This is this, it, like someone is describing how I feel and so she was like, listen, I think you should go to this like more prestigious doctor. And I had sort of been avoiding that because I was, I was trying to gain my financial independence, like I said, and you know, psychiatry therapy, all of that can be extremely costly. And, you know, 250, I think his, I think an initial visit with him was $350. And that was like inconceivable to me. But when I looked back collectively on all the money I had spent bouncing around to all these different doctors and all this prescription medication. And so his initial consultation was expensive. But when I looked back onto like everything that all the money I had spent, I was just like, 
let's just do it. I think my parents probably paid for it, if I'm being honest, um, which I am, because why would I lie? At this point, I have nothing to lose. He won our consultation. This guy, I, I showed up to his office with a giant bag of empty pill bottles. And I remember very dramatically spilling them out onto the table and saying, this is, this is everything that I've tried and nothing has worked. And he, he looked at it. He, we talked, he asked me a ton of questions. He put me on what he thought would be best, which was a combination of an antidepressant and a mood stabilizer. And I felt better within, I would say a week or two. Like I felt like, oh my God, this is what it feels like to feel real. When a really great doctor agrees with the diagnosis that you and your therapist have given and medicates you according to that diagnosis and that combination of medications works for you, then you feel validated in the diagnosis because a lot of times if, if you're wrong, the medicine doesn't work or has an adverse effect. Anyways, it worked. I felt better. And you know that I was 31. I'm 46 now. I spent some time off medication and, and I realized that that, which is a common thing where you where after years of feeling super stable, um, I was like, I don't even know if I need this anymore. And I had gone on a, I went on a work trip and I forgot my meds and I was like, it was for a week. And after a few days, I didn't feel that bad. So I was like, I, maybe I'm getting better. And then I was off it for, I mean, really a huge portion of Bandel and only went back on it like six months ago. And I feel a hundred times better. Like I was totally fucking kidding myself that I didn't need it, but that's how I got here. I hope that helps in any way, shape or form. I hope that helps. And I'm sure that once once my producers listen to this episode, they're going to give me some very, very clear instructions on how I can encapsulate this um, in a really compelling outro for you in case this was a little too windy. But I'm really passionate about getting some of these stories out because, man, even if I rambled for 40 minutes, you know, there could be three minutes of that that really resonate with you or remind me, remind you of your, of your friend or your husband or your mom and can help. And that will always be my motivation. I mean, I love to have an audience, don't get me wrong, but it didn't make sense until there was a real reason behind it. So that's me. That's my road to bipolar. It's a long and winding road. It, I mean, I guess that's just someone outside that's just has decided to roll down their windows and play that kind of music, which to me is a, let's just use it as the, the they're going to play me out. Thank you, loud neighbor. 
Oh, now you turn the music off. Well, doesn't that make sense? Okay. Bye. Oh my God. You made it to the end. We did it. Yay. Uh, on Instagram stories, I sometimes will talk so long that the dashes turn into tiny dots. And I have a name for the group of people that stick with it all the way to the end. And that name is Long Hauler. So you are now inducted into the Long Hauler Club. Welcome. It's a really fun group of people. Anyways, I hope this helped. There's so much more to come. Next episode, I'm going to talk about the emotional rating system I created with my mom. And then after that, we're going to switch it up and talk a little bit about my career path leading up to Bandeau, which I think will help you understand that there isn't always a direct path to success and that's okay. Um, I'm also gunning for just a 100% musical episode, uh, waiting on approval. And lastly... Hey, while I work to set up an email associated with this podcast, why don't you just direct message me on Instagram? It's Jen Gotch, really easy to remember. And tell me what you liked, what you didn't like, what you want to hear more about, what resonated with you, what helped, because I'm really committed to framing these episodes so that they're valuable to you. And the only way for me to find that out for sure is to hear from you. So hit me up and... Have a great week. What do you know about the after show? It's the JGOK after show. You don't know about the after show, but I'm going to serenade my cat on the show. Welcome to the after show. The show after the show. The show no one knows about. The show that is this show. That is the show right now. That is my show. And here it is. This week, I would like to dedicate um, a song to my cat, Gertie, who hates me and constantly tries to murder me, even though I saved her from a sewer when she was three weeks old. Right now, she is laying on the couch unsuspecting of the fact that she's about to be serenaded. Here we go. She's the sweetest girl in the whole wide world. She's my cat. She's my cat. She's the sweetest girl in the whole wide world. She's my cat. She's my cat. She tears me to shreds, she sleeps in my bed, she scratches my face, and like her poop just smells really bad. She's the sweetest girl in the whole wide world, she's my cat, she's my cat. I'm gonna move closer to you Gertie, please don't kill me, I wanna sing right to your face. She just smelled the microphone. I think we're making progress. Have a great week.